You are now listening to the Hot Take Podcast, brought to you by Full Time Fantasy. Here are your hosts, Stephen Taroni and Josh Daddy. Time to make it hot. Welcome in. This is the Hot Take Podcast. Excited to be back with you guys for another episode of the Hot Take. And excitement's in the air. You know, football is back. Uh, we're learning news every day here, uh, and we're going to share a lot of that news with you today. We have a special guest on the show, uh, and we're going to go into some ADP sandwich, uh, talk some ADP check-in, see where the pulse is. Uh, we like to do that from time to time here on the Hot Take. Josh, how are you feeling today, man? Feeling pretty good, brother. Excited. You know, we got kind of a, a new look, which we'll talk about at the end of the show, and um, you know, kind of revamped and excited to see that we're making progress towards football. Uh, some of the M- the MLB happenings have been a little a uh, little discouraging, but we'll we'll see how kind of this plays out in the NBA bubble, and uh, just hoping that the NFL can take advantage of being the last sport, so to speak, to get going. And they can kind of learn from everyone else's mistakes. But uh, I'm getting more excited as we draw closer to the season starting here. Yeah, it's tough right now because, you know, the MLB is kind of leading by example of what not to do. And then you have the NBA and the NHL kind of on the opposite spectrum there. Um, I think I saw a report today that um, about 400 players, staff were tested today, zero results uh, or zero positive results for the NBA. But they have an advantage, right? They have the, the bubble city of of Orlando. Um, so they really figured it out right away. Yeah, no doubt. And of course the WNBA and the wobble, um, you know, so you got <laughs> hockey kind of doing the same thing. So it's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out. Uh, but you know, like you mentioned, got a couple guys that opted out already, Devin Funches and Marquise Goodwin, you know, can't, uh, can't blame Marquise Goodwin. Uh, you know, him and his wife had, uh, lost a, a newborn, uh, infant, you know, not too long ago. So, I mean, if I'm him, you know, you can't blame the guy. I mean, that's that's completely reasonable. Uh, you know, Devin Funches, of course, you know, his was retweeted by Adam Schefter, his statement. And uh, it really kind of makes those Alan Lazard shares tick up a little bit, though, you know, from a fantasy perspective. Yeah, that's right. Funches and Goodwin, I think, are, you know, the most fantasy relevant so far, I guess you could say, um, which is... I guess good, right, from a fantasy football perspective. But um, yeah, yeah, nobody's ever starting Brandon Bolden when he puts in those two random touchdowns during the season in the same game and frustrates everyone. Yeah, I wonder what the percentage is for people that have started Brandon Bolden on Brandon Bolden weeks. <laughs> <laughs> right, like I'm sure there's like a a twenty team, you know, like master flex, you know, six yeah. flex spot team dynasty or something out there where the the benches are literally just completely filled with anybody that's fantasy relevant. So we, yeah. it'd be interesting to see that play out, but yeah, it's a ton of Patriots, man. Uh, what was it like six in total opted out yesterday? Yeah. Including Patrick Chung, uh, Dante Hightower's the big one there. Uh, Bolden, like you mentioned, Marcus Cannon, um, and a couple others that I don't have written down here. Uh, but just to set the stage, players are going to be opting out uh, as of right now. The, the deadline is August 4th. My understanding, and Josh, maybe you heard the same thing, is that every day that the NFL, NFLPA agreement isn't signed, they're just going to add a day for this. So it's going to be basically whenever this thing, the thing is signed. And as of right now, which is Tuesday, or I'm sorry, Wednesday during the day here, um, it has not been signed. Yeah, and that's the way that basically I'm interpreting it as well. And you know, one of the things that could be a sticking point or, uh, you know, a natural hold up to this is I feel like a lot of people think August 4th is just too early to to make a call. And originally this happened in Major League Baseball as well. You know, it had a like a hard deadline that was supposed to be firm. And yet we saw players opt out two, three weeks after that. And um, nothing, you know, nothing came of it. And I'm pretty sure that we're going to have something set up where this either gets pushed back to the later part of August or at least the mid part of August where they're going to add another week or two onto this. So 
by stalling it out, I think that naturally gives players, uh, buys them some time, which I think is a good move for the NFLPA to protect all the players. Uh, that is the main concern with some of the other items that were in there. The protocols looked good. There was just some player con- uh, player concern for safety, like we talked yeah. about on last week's episode. But yeah, I mean, it, it's it's probably going to be later on for sure. Like I would highly, I'd be very, very surprised if it ends up being early August like it is now. Right. Yeah. And, you know, like most of most things that we've seen um, in this pandemic, uh, things that are very important dates uh, that have happened, you know, not just talking about football, but just in general, um, they have dates have been extended. You know, it's a very um, imperfect system right now uh, that is doing its best to be perfect and to be safe. So, you know, I I think they're doing the right things uh, right now, which is a good sign. Um, It's like I said, it's going to be tough to match what the NBA is doing. It seems like there will be more cases, in my opinion, in the NFL during season than potentially basketball. Um, and really, the only bad thing so far are you know positive uh, results and for COVID for NBA have been people that have left the bubble and come back. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Hopefully, we don't get uh, Lou Williams situation yeah. in the NFL. But unfortunately, with the rosters being what like five times the size, I. Probably very likely, especially coaching staffs being about five times the size as well. Uh, it's going to be tricky, brother. Yep. Um, but let's talk about the Patriots real quick, um, and then we will uh, bring in our guest, uh, who, if I didn't mention at the top, we're going to say it here, uh, Paul Charchian of Fanball and newly of guillotineleagues.com. So he's going to be talking about guillotine league, leagues and his new project. Super excited about that. Josh, I don't know anything about guillotine league, so I'm super excited to talk about that. Yeah, I've uh, you know I have heard of them. Um, it's just something that I like to kind of when I join a league, it's it's something where I tr- I try to do it with as many people uh, or that I know or colleagues. You know, it's hard for me uh, to just jump into a, a league with a bunch of randos. Um, but with that being said, I know that uh, they are offered uh, over at MFL as well. Um, so it's been one of those things that I've been kind of interested in. Just haven't pulled the trigger yet, man. I haven't jumped in. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see if uh, Charge can convince us to get into one of these leagues. <laughs> I, think, I think it's going to be pretty cutthroat. I think this is the you know challenge that we've been wanting here in uh, fantasy football. It sounds um, treacherous. Yeah, yeah. Man, well, I've talked about treacherous every time I try typing guillotine. Oh man, that, that's a mess of a word to me. <laughs> like, why is there why is there an I in there? What is going on? Um, but uh, I think it's what? I think it's French. I, I don't know. I don't know. It's, Moving on. Oh, it's got to be. It's got to be. <laughs> so let's talk about the Patriots real quick and what they're trying to do. I mean, there's a lot of speculation right now that Bill Belichick is kind of. I don't know if you saw actually because we you know we saw the tweets uh, from Schefter and Ian Rappaport. Uh, one of the tweets Schefter tweeted out was saying, you know, uh, a, a, an NFL exec was kind of not buying it, sort of thing, like calling out Bill Belichick's, like saying, I don't know, there's something, there's something going on here. And then we saw, um, oh, what is his name? The the guy who does impressions, Frank uh, Frank Caliendo. Frank Caliendo, yeah. Did you see that video that he put out? No, I didn't. I'm not. Oh, he put out a video impersonating Bill Belichick, just basically telling guys to stay home. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna. It sounds amazing. I'm gonna have to yeah. look it up. Now. Oh man, like yeah, yeah, yeah. You gotta do what's good for you. You gotta do what's safe. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> Something. <laughs> oh, so you know, the speculation, of course, comes from this 22 million dollars that the Patriots have saved. You know, for this season. What does that mean to you, Josh? I mean, does that mean, do you think that they're going to try using that on a key free agent at this point in this late into the offseason? Well, I mean, this is, feels like every episode we're talking about the Patriots. Last week we talked about the Patriots backfield and we That's kind right. of talked about how Sony Michelle just has like this, you know, these bulky knees and that's a major concern. The fact that Damian Harris wasn't even used. I mean, sparingly is being nice uh, when you're talking about his usage in 2019. Uh, so there's really a lot of question marks now that Brandon Bolden, the touchdown vulture, is opting out of the season. Uh, it's just kind of interesting, man. I mean, he had Rex Burkhead, who we know is going to be there because he restructured his deal, and that freed up enough to sign Cam, which is kind of ridiculous to say. Uh, but, it, you know, $22 million, 
I mean, that's, that's I feel like this clears the way for uh, some of those incentives from the Cam Newton deal to kind of play out, et cetera. Mm -hmm. uh, right. But also, you know, you, they could be bringing in uh, some running back help. I know you, you're kind of thinking about one guy in particular, but the guy I'm thinking that they may be bringing on board is a guy they already tried once this time last year, uh, you know, was Antonio Brown. Um, he shows up, plays a game, scores a touchdown, and then we don't hear from him again. Uh, but it's, it's tough. That's a wild card, man. Um, you know, we know that, uh, some of these players are getting new agents. Um, you know, so it's, it's, it's interesting to see, uh, you know, Drew Rosenhaus, of course, does not represent Antonio Brown anymore, but he does represent someone that, uh, that you, you might be thinking could be coming to new England. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I'm thinking about Devonte Freeman just because, well, you know, and I didn't even think about this until we were talking, but Brandon Bolden not showing up definitely does clear up a spot for a running back, you know, um, in that running back room um, that they usually carry for five running backs. So now they can get that fourth running back. Uh, Devontae Freeman still sitting there. And I wasn't, it was it the Eagles or the Seahawks that he turned down that deal. Was he it the turned Seahawks? down uh, 4 million from Seattle. So the Patriots could be in a position to comfortably give him five or six uh, with this cap room here. And, you know, maybe that's all he wanted was maybe just five or six. Maybe that four was just too low, uh, which, you know, is really, really telling. I mean, from the Seahawks perspective, if you think about that. But I think the Patriots could be in play here to sign Devontae Freeman, who I don't think he's done with football. I mean, that, that would be very shocking if we've you know, if Freeman doesn't play in 2020, to me, like that is very shocking when he yeah. just, you know, two years ago, he was very productive as, as a running back. Oh yeah, no doubt. Especially, uh, you know, the Super Bowl season. I mean, I always call him the, the football robot, you know, he has awesome vision and he's very versatile, you know, he's good uh, pass catcher. I mean, yeah, he's kind I mean, of a guy like, I mean, he would be a great guy to add to new England and, with Rex Burkhead's uh, versatility, you know, he can easily kind of take over the Brandon Bold and roll on special teams. Um, you know, of course, they do have, you know, perennial pro bowler Jackie Slater there, or not Jackie Slater, but uh, Matthew Slater. Um, <laughs> Matthew Slater is something else. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. He's he's always trying to stay relevant. Um, but, you know, it's, it's interesting because they do have a lot of pieces that they can kind of uh, you know, move around. Um, I believe they added a couple fullbacks this off season as well. So, I mean, that's kind of, that's kind of already replacing the special teams aspect of things. I just think once they were kind of scrambling around and using uh linebacker, Landon Roberts to play fullback last year, they kind of realized they needed to maybe add some depth there, but the way it plays out from a touches perspective, if there's no Sony Michelle and you're basically relying on a dude that's playing special teams primarily and James White as your pass catching back. I mean, James White is not going to be a guy you give 18 carries a game to. And so Devontae Freeman, though, uh, you know, he can definitely come in and you might give a few more touches to Burkhead. You might give a few more to White. But, you know, you want to give 15, 16 carries, something like that to Freeman every game. I feel like we see this every year. Someone, you know, people sleep on running backs because they're either, quote unquote, you know, too old uh, you know, or they quote unquote, can't stay healthy, you know, until they can. Um, and somebody gets, you know, a really good running back that's productive on a really cheap deal. Um, yeah. I, I don't think it's going to be really cheap, unfortunately, seeing that he scoffed that 4 million. But uh, personally, if I was Devante, I probably would have took it because you saw immediately they ended up signing Carlos Hyde. So uh, right. it's kind of some, some uh, you know, Rashad Penny insurance. So we'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah, I, uh, you know, and Sony just, uh, real quick, he could start off on the pup list or at least maybe miss a couple games at this point. I mean, it's unclear if he's going to be able to report to camp. Um, so until, you know, it comes out that Sony is there, uh, I think that the Patriots are really in play to to make a move on a Freeman or a Lamar Miller. I mean, those are the only two running backs I can think of that are out there unless, you know, <laughs> they bring back a guy, something, you know, like Theo Riddick or something like that. Uh, that I know is still trying to play football, you know, but I, I think the, you know, this move with Brandon Bolden, I just, I'm just kind of looking at that, like, Hmm, they, they, they set up a spot for that running back position in my opinion. So uh, I think they're kind of preparing for the worst with Sony. 
Yeah, I mean, it's like worst case scenario. I think like the Patriots would just take a super patient approach, like they did at the quarterback position. And I mean, good things come to those who wait, you know. And they ended up landing Cam Newton. They could just basically wait until, you know, the season starts and teams have to cut guys. And you know, maybe the Chiefs cut, you know, DeAndre Washington or the the Raiders cut Devontae Booker, and they end up signing somebody super cheap like that. So, um, you know, you never know. It's uh, like I said, we'll see. It's so much that's going to play out here in the next four to five weeks. It's it's going to kind of be kind of be like that first uh, couple of days leading up to baseball season. The news was so hardcore and heavy. It's going to play out the same way in the end. I'll tell you, a Patriots team of Cam Newton, Devontae Freeman, Antonio Brown. Uh, that would that would actually be you know they would be talking they would be talking Super Bowl again in New England. It's like twenty. That's like the 2015, 2016 like all pro team right there. Oh yeah, that's QB one, RB one, <laughs> wide receiver one, <laughs> all across the board, man. Yeah, I understand. Right. Well, you know what I always say. No, no, not that. You got to look out for yourself first. Right. Correct. There is no I in team. But there is an I in COVID. <laughs> and then virus. Very good. Okay, well, I oh, can't man. influence you either way. Oh, man. Do what you think you need to do. Okay. <laughs> Goodbye. Frank Caliendo as Bill Belichick might be the best thing ever. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. With uh, especially oh, with the Trevor Lawrence posters in the background. Oh yeah, uh, Frank Caliendo basically doing Bill, Bill Belichick telling a player just you know, maybe sit this one out. But let's bring in our guest Paul Charchian of Fanball.com and newly of GuillotineLeagues.com. Paul, how are you, sir? I'm doing great. Uh, still a, a co-owner in uh, Fanball.com, but I've turned my attention fully to GuillotineLeagues.com, getting that off the ground and getting started and embracing. The most panic-inducing, anxiety-inducing, heart-wrenching you know, wrenching fantasy format that's ever been invented. <laughs> so, yeah, because, like, me and Josh were talking just a few minutes ago. Like, we don't really know about guillotine leagues. Um, based, the only thing I know about guillotine leagues is stuff that you have told me, uh, which is pretty much just what you just said. And I'm just thinking, like, when you're talking about, like, all of that anxiety, it feels like it would be, like, watching Uncut Gems. Yeah, it sounds potentially dangerous. Yeah, it definitely sounds dangerous for sure. Uh, it's um, yeah, you got to know what you're getting into, right? Because every week, you know, in a typical league, if you lose, you just take an out. You're like, all right, I'll go next week. I'll, you know, I'll go win. I'll go win next week. You take the ultimate L in this one when you finish last in a guillotine league in any given week. You get chopped and you're done. Your season's over. Mm. So, for listeners who don't know, it's the way it works is you start with 17 teams at the beginning of the year every week. The low scoring team for that week gets cut and they're done and all their players go to the waiver wire. So then everybody else gets a full run at an entire draft of players. And so you've got a thousand fictional dollars to spend over the course of the season. And in, in week one, you know, Ezekiel Elliott has a bad game and suddenly it's, you know, it's a feeding frenzy to try to get Ezekiel Elliott. And you know, and maybe uh, the second round pick was, you know, like Julio Jones and the third round pick was Patrick Mahomes. And, you know, all these guys hit the waiver wire and it's total pandemonium. And you're just trying to survive, figure out when to spend your your free agent budget and make right. it to the very end, never finishing last. So, so charge at guillotineleagues.com. I imagine people can play guillotine fantasy football. Yeah. So it, it works for two kinds of players. If you know 16 other people and you just want us to you know, run your league, because it works specifically the way a guillotine league wants to work, we can do that. Or, like most of us, if you don't know 16 other people that want to try a guillotine league, you just figure out what price point you want to play at and what pricing level you want to be at, and you just go join a league. And, you know, we're, we're always finding people that, um, that are ready to play and, and want to play and go draft and, and go have a guillotine league experience. And part of what's great is, you know, you might be listening right now going, well, you know, I don't know anything about guillotine leagues. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to put any money into it or whatever, but nobody knows anything about guillotine leagues. You know, they, <laughs> we're all on the same footing right now, right? Yeah. You know, this thing was only invented a couple of years ago. So you know, there's no playbook on how to win a guillotine league. You know, we have, I have advice that I give that I think is right. And I, I was able to win one of mine uh, last year. But it's uh, it's not it's 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 you're at the same disadvantage of everybody else. So um, which kind of makes it an advantage, I suppose. 
Yeah, no, I mean, it's pretty self-explanatory, right? I mean, if you're the lowest score, you're out. I mean, that's it. You know, and yeah. everyone's up for grabs and, you know, you just have to be smart with that thousand dollar budget. Now with different leagues, you know, like, you know, I play in leagues that use fab. You can adjust the fab. It, can you do that at guillotineleagues.com with those leagues? Do you adjust the fab? Well, I'm not sure what you mean by adjust the fab entirely. I mean, you, you've got the thousand dollars to spend uh, throughout can the you year. Increase it? Can you say, okay, you know what? We're going to start off with fifteen hundred instead of a thousand. No, we just okay. do. Everybody gets thousand. That's it. Okay. And so yeah. you know, spend it wisely. You know, at a yeah. thousand, you can micro. You can get so mic. You know, so um, micro with that thousand. Where you know, where you're spent. You know, you're making bids for two hundred and forty-eight dollars. Right. So you know, I think <laughs> right. I think that kind of covers. That pretty much covers the needs for everybody, and everybody's you know in the same in the same spot with a thousand to spend. Now, part of the strategy is you know this, this, hypothetically again Ezekiel Elliott springs free in week one, and you've got a bit of a problem at running back. So do you put in eight hundred of your thousand to go get Ezekiel Elliott in week one, knowing you could potentially start him the rest of the year, or you wait a week, find out who gets, who hits the waiver wire next and see if you can just limp along. I mean, so that's part of the beauty of it is you, you might go to your grave. If you don't spend it, you might go to your grave with $980 in your fab. And you know, what good did that do do you? Right. But the other side of it is you blow it all too early mm. and there's better and better players getting dropped. And by the middle of the year, you can't make enough good transactions that hurts you too. So it's, it's fast. That's part of the fascination of it is just how, what how metaphor it works for real life, life, you know? <laughs> right. I mean, do you want to you spend all your money, or do you, you know you want to have all this money? And then what are you going to do with the money when you're gone? You know, that's kinda, exactly that's deep. Exactly. That's deep right there in guillotine leagues. I like that. I don't know, Charge. Uh, I know that you like video games. I know you, I see you tweeting sure. about video games a lot. Uh, th this reminds me of like a hardcore, uh, like when I, I used to play Diablo two. Right? Like, <laughs> that's like a great game. Yeah. Oh, an R the RPG. You play a hardcore. You create a character. That character dies once, you're done. You can you're be done. level 50, you've grinded, you know, you can be, and then you're, you're done. All the items, it's all gone. So that's just like this. It is, and that's the panic-inducing part, right? So, you know, knowing, you know, it's week eight, you've survived to the halfway point of the season. And now, Monday night, you're one of three people that could be chopped because you're near the bottom of the, of, the, of the scoring. And you need going into Monday night, you need four catches for 40 yards from your tight end or you're going to be chopped from the league and it's over. <laughs> you think you're not watching that game? Just, you know, chiseling down your fingernails in the anxiety. It is, it's amazing. And even when you're not in danger, you're watching to see what team is in danger. So you can find out what roster is going to be hitting the waiver wire. Yeah. So it's um, yeah. The guillotine league format is, it's just so much fun. I've never seen a response. I've been doing this for over 25 years. In the industry, I've never seen anything like the the response we've had to guillotine leagues. Yeah, I think it's a I think it's an awesome part that you know it's embracing the variance, whereas the the variance is like another opponent. You're not just playing against you know every other team you know week in and week out, but you're also playing against being the worst, <laughs> having the worst luck, and uh, being on yeah. the, the bad side of variance. And you can even have those scenarios where you do have a seven and zero or an eight and zero team going into week eight or nine, and uh, you know you just you catch one really bad week, and oh, it's over. that's a, you're, that's exactly right, Josh. You've 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 cracked the code on this. This is the whole point of the roster construction, the Guillotine League, is to not have guys that three guys that all have dud games in the same week. And what what you what you did last week doesn't doesn't even make any difference. There there isn't even a record. You don't roll into week eight seven and zero. There's no record. You're just alive or you're not alive. And you're a lot of the roster construction, the smart parts of the roster construction are finding guys who don't flop. I mean, the best example by probably a mile is Michael Thomas. Michael Thomas was, you know, amazingly consistent, always has been. And so you're trying to find guys like him that are, that can perform, you know, we all want Michael Thomas. I know, but there are others. Example, another example. Oh, here's a, here's a great, here's another good example. Odell Beckham versus Jarvis Landry, same team. Jarvis Landry, most weeks, you know you're going to get your, you know, five catches for 60 yards, and it, he just doesn't have that high variance of high upside, high downside, you know, like a, like a Mecole Hardman might have, for example. Um, whereas Odell Beckham, all over the all over the place, 
you know, Odell Beckham had, you know, the big explosive games, only a couple last year. And then he'd have just these invisible games. And those are the, those invisible games, you get two, three, four guys in your team that put up those bad games and that's it. Your season's over. So avoiding those guys critical. Well, me and Paul are best friends now. Come on this show and talk highly about Jarvis Landry. <laughs> that's all it takes. That's yeah. all it takes. That's literally, I was just, I was waiting uh, for it. Josh beat me to it there. That's, yeah, that's my guy. Hey, yeah. look, if you're more Jarvis Landry, just join guillotine leagues, Josh. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, it sounds like uh, it sounds like you also maybe want to pick up a copy of our buddy Bob Lung's consistency guide because uh, it sounds mm. like that could help you out and maybe take you away in these kind of leagues as well. And Bob's yeah. super sharp. I'm a I'm a big fan of uh, of Bob. So uh, I don't I have not seen this year's consistency guide, but man, would that be perfect for this format? Yeah, he's usually putting it out about this time, Steve. Isn't that right? Yeah. But he got it really early uh, this yeah. year because of the pandemic. He's like, here you guys go. It's uh, here's something to do. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> out there. That's out there. Um, yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, I think if you wanted to take that and use that towards maybe a strategy in guillotine leagues, might be viable for you. Um, yeah. I think you know, and any fantasy fo- format you still need upside but still like getting those consistent guys uh could certainly help uh but i think i think charge you uh convinced me and josh i think we're gonna check out the team least i think it's gonna be a good time for us i, I hope you do <laughs> um and you know let me know if, let me know if you need any help with anything I'll, I'll do whatever i can to help you guys out sounds good to us yeah we're, we're definitely uh definitely gonna look into that but let's move on to uh some adp check-in we did this a couple weeks ago and i think we're gonna do it every so often here we're going to do an ADP sandwich, basically this guy or that guy. Uh, but as as I was typing sandwich on the show sheet this week, guys, I uh, I just got really hungry. And I just really started thinking about sandwiches. And it just got me thinking about, like, what makes the perfect sandwich. And I just wanted to, you know, chart your special guest here. Just I need to know your favorite nuance of a sandwich. Like, what is it that gets you going oh, for a sandwich? It's the It's the bread. Okay. I mean, you you know, it's, it's same thing with burgers. You know, the, to me, the whole you know, a great burger is built on the bun first, and in in and Frank, you know, a burger is a sandwich, right? It's just hot meat instead of cold meat. That's all. So I'm gonna <laughs> you know, I'm gonna roll with this. I just had an amazing burger with a pretzel bun, and the pretzel bun has got mm-hmm. sort of that harder outer shell on it. Oh yeah, and yep. that keeps all the juices in. Whereas a lot of burgers, if they're really juicy burgers, it just soaks right through, especially that bottom bun. Yep. And you know, you got a wet, drippy mess. The you know the pretzel bun on a burger. Oh, it's so perfect when it's done right. Oh man, I'm having burgers tonight myself. Uh, I don't think we have pretzel buns, but I'm getting very, very excited for burgers tonight. Uh, you bring you're, uh, you're about to make bread. a trip to the grocery store is what it sounds like. Yeah, maybe. You bring up a good point with the bread, Charge. I mean, like even someone like Jack in the Box when I was on the West Coast and I would hit, yeah. you know, you know, Jack in the Box is not a great burger traditionally. So you're not getting the A plus <laughs> uh, grade A meat there. But they got the sourdough bun there. And that, that gets me that gets me going for a sourdough yeah. bun. I, I will certainly dive into that. Um, Josh, I got to know, what's your favorite nuance of a sandwich? I like uh, I like where Paul's going, but for me, man, it's the cheese that gets used in the sandwich because mm-hmm. it's so instrumental. Um, you know, and like the best, I guess the best example that I can give is like I hate Swiss cheese like by itself, or like I don't know anybody that just like oh yeah, you know, like they cut off like a hunk of you know Swiss cheese and eat it. Like you can do that with like cheddar or some smoked gouda, or something like that, you know. Right. But, like nobody eats Swiss cheese because it tastes like butt. So it's like, but like, but if you throw it on like, you know, a chicken and bacon sandwich, or, you know, if you're using, uh, you know, like a nice, um, like I mentioned, Gouda, that's like my favorite, um, you know, or like a nice spice, of pe- like a pepper jack slice can really kind of kick the spice up a notch if it's maybe yeah. a little boring. Um, but you also, you know, have some kind of some go to favorites there. And it's, it's just such a, like Swiss, for example, such a, a good complimentary part to that sandwich so it's kind of it can kind of make or break it man you don't want to throw on like uh you don't want to make like a nice turkey avocado bacon sandwich and then throw a like a shitty piece of american cheese on there like nobody wants that <laughs> well what cheese do you like man you sound like a cheese snob <laughs> <laughs> no i uh i pretty much only uh i i don't really eat the the craft singles anymore but i'll pretty much mess with any other kind of cheese like we yeah. uh, we love cheese you know people give the craft singles a hard time i'm okay with them you know and done the right way you put it on a burger it's it's pretty tasty 
Oh yeah, burger, oh. burgers and grilled cheese for sure. They're still very valid for burgers and grilled cheese. Because of the melting. I mean, that's the, you know, what you're yeah. really getting at when it comes to the cheese and the singles is if you need to melt it, it melts great. Yeah. And that's, right. that's where, that is where the singles really shine. You know, for other cheese purposes, you can do a lot better than the singles, but for melting, you really can't. It's, it's really all about the singles. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm just telling people to be that. careful, you know, just be careful and don't ruin your sandwich with a, with a questionable cheese choice. <laughs> That's good advice, Josh. That's really good advice. Um, yeah, I mean, for Swiss, yeah, you, you said, you know, it's very complimentary, you know, it, it you know, it kind of reminds me of like the Jarvis Landry uh, of cheeses, you know, it kind of oh, yeah. like it's the bill for every sandwich. <laughs> no. Everything but, comes back to Jarvis Landry on this every, show. At the end of the day, it's all Jarvis Landry. Um, I feel I feel like it's kind of like the uh, like the uh, Tyler Lockett of of cheeses because it's like, well, you know, it's really not super attractive out there, but man, it's so consistent and uh, you know, it's it's very efficient when it gets used the right way. So that's right. For for me, the it's definitely the condiments. So if there's a good honey mustard around, or maybe a good aioli like a spicy mayo that, you know, oh yeah. But usually when I'm at a restaurant and I'm looking at the sandwiches, that's probably the deciding factors. Like what, what sauce are they using? Or can I get a side of that maybe? Um, but, you know, very underrated sandwich condiment combo, just simple mayo and mustard. Love that. Just give me that. You want a turkey sandwich? I'm good to go. All right. For a second there, you didn't mention a meat. I'm going, you're on about a mayo mustard sandwich. Okay. Oh, no. Yeah. Ooh, that would be. That'd be weird. That would be strange. That would be strange. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, all right. So let's talk actual ADP here. Let's get into the ADP sandwich. Um, first on the board, and we're going to go, This they're going to hover around the same ADP. So you're in the fourth round. Charge, who are you drafting? And we'll, we'll say for this, we'll say half point PPR. All right. Um, so we'll go right Chris down the middle. Car yep, exactly. So it's Chris Carson or it's Le'Veon Bell. <clears throat> Carson by a mile. Uh, I get a much more explosive offense that is going to score a touchdown a game more. Um, I don't have to hook any part of my team up to Adam Gase, which is always a huge advantage, right? Um, Carson has no real threat on that team. There's, uh, th there, is no, there is no viable threat to take significant carries away from him. And, you know, then there's this. I mean, I just I think Carson is among the most undervalued running backs in the whole draft. I have him as running back 11. I think ADP wise, he's clocking in closer to running back 16, 17, 18. Yep. Uh, let me see where he's running. Yeah, I got him at the uh, Fantasy Pros ECR running back 16 right now. 16. There you go. Um, and I just, what has he done wrong? You, you get a, you get a good, by the way, a good player in Chris Carson for sure, um, who on a very, very run heavy team, traditionally always has been, traditionally has used a, uh, a primary workhorse back. It's always been Chris Carson. Um, really, there hasn't been. The fact that he didn't fumble his way out of that job last year tells you how much that coaching staff likes him. And I, I, I don't understand why people aren't more enamored with Chris Carson. You get a goal line back, you get a reasonable pass catching back, and you get, you get a guy who's not a member of the Jets. And that's always worth something as well. I've got Le'Veon Bell way down at number 22 among running backs. Yeah, I got to show... Uh, Bell going as the running back 20 right now. So they're, they're pretty close. Um, I don't think I could have said it any better as far as the benefits uh, and the reasons that I would take Carson over Bell, but Steve, I know you're a, you're a Bell guy, so I'm not going to waste too much time on this one. I'll let you, uh, I'll let you make the case for, for Bell here. Well, Josh, you, you pick Carson for the same reasons. Is there anything else that you would I mean, say that Carson has the advantage over Bell in besides like the offense. And I mean, the main thing is like, like Paul said, I mean, there's no Adam Gase. So, you know, it's <laughs> it, the, the, yeah. main thing is just, the usage is fantastic. Uh, you know, the offense and again, the fumbles don't matter there. I mean, a charge nail every single point <laughs> that you can probably hit. Um, All right. So I, I just, I completely agree. I know that's kind of boring, but, uh, He's also, you know, he's just as capable as a receiver as Le'Veon Bell. It's just that, you know, last year we didn't get to see Bell in that role, and we know he can shine. I just don't trust the head coach to do what's right and give him the damn ball. I, I disagree with the last part, but everything else you guys are saying is spot on. I mean, I'm going Le'Veon Bell for the receiving work that he's going to get. That's the big part there is that I know that is going to be there because last year, 78 targets, and it was just a bad year for the Jets. 
I'm not saying it can be great because I don't think that that's in the range of outcomes. Great is just not for the Jets offense this year, but it could be better than last year. And so that's, you know, if you're going to give Le'Veon Bell 245 carries and 66 receptions, I think that efficiency goes up. I can, I'm, I'm even banking on he's actually going to get more work in the passing game because Robbie Anderson is gone. And I'm not saying that that's a big deal, but I think that that's a downgrade when you bring in Bashard Perryman. Um, not a big difference there. Uh, but, you know, then you have a rookie in Denzel Mims and then Jamison Crowder is going to get a lot of targets. So I think, you know, the, the targets are going to funnel to Crowder and Le'Veon Bell. So he has the advantage there. So in a PPR league, I think it's even more obvious for me. But 0.5, I'm still going to go Bell just like, I think, I think he's a better running back too. And I understand the Seahawks system of being, you know, the better, you know, the better system, obviously the run first, you know, but they brought in Carlos Hyde too. And I'm not saying, ah, that, I, I'm not saying, he's that they, well, he, but no, he could definitely get work. I, I think they brought him in to be used. You know, when they bring, when someone, when a team brings in Carlos Hyde, they're going to use him. Bob, I, I would, I would contend this. If you watch Carlos Hyde play, I mean, just what do your eyes say about Carlos Hyde as, as a player? And, and for that matter, why is he on his fourth team in four years? I mean, if he's if he's particularly good and, you know, his 4.1 yards per carry average would suggest he's, you know, it's not. Um, yeah. You know, why, you know, what is it that Houston, you know, that knew him intimately, didn't want to keep him. Jacksonville that knew him intimately and, and Cleveland. Sorry, 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 sorry. Five teams, five teams in four years, Cleveland. Yeah. And San Francisco, what do they all know and not not be interested in in interested in Carlos Hyde for, you know? No, no. And and look, Carson is gonna get 250 carries in this offense. Uh, but you know, it, it, as long as he's yeah. healthy. Um, but Hyde is still gonna be used, is what I'm saying. Um, so I, I do actually think that the carries for Carson, if he plays, you know, I'm not sure how many I don't have it in front of me how many he played last year, but he got 278 carries. Uh, so I imagine he played most of the season. I, I think that's going down a little bit this year. But both, you know, look, I think that you guys make the argument perfectly. Chris Carson is the safer and just it makes more sense when you talk about the offense that he's in. He's the lead back, no question. Um, so I think that makes a lot of sense. You're taking more of a chance with Le'Veon Bell. Let's move on. Stay, stay with the running back. David Johnson or Mark Ingram? David Johnson or Mark Ingram? Ugh. I've I've got them ranked next to each other so you know i'm not going to necessarily make a strong strong case for for either guy yeah. but the david johnson that we saw last year was embarrassing he was unbelievably out of shape um had no power no elusiveness no speed and we haven't seen him cobble together a good year in three seasons so you know there's plenty of reason for skepticism on johnson but as mentioned last you know just moments ago carlos hyde isn't good and he was able to be fantasy productive for Houston because just sheer repetition and knowing that he's going to get the ball at the stripe. And I think that gives uh, David Johnson just a slight edge here. But honestly, I think you're, you know, like I said, if I, if I got him ranked next to each other, this we're in coin flip territory, but I like the fact that Johnson is um, gets the vast, should get the vast majority of the work. And also this intangible about Johnson, what a God awful trade was he a part of, right? And yep. if you're, um, if, you're Bill O'Brien, you want to justify that trade, right? You're taking heat from, you know, all sides on this horrible trade. What a better way to justify it than getting a big season out of David Johnson, giving him every chance to prove that that trade wasn't as one-sided as it, as it seemed to be. So from an intangible standpoint, I like the David Johnson side of it as uh, as well. You're echoing what me and Josh have said on this show um, a few different times in this off season. And just for reference, David Johnson is being drafted as RB21 off the board, according to mm. 44 ADP, and Mark Ingram, uh, RB22. Both would be about late fourth round, early fifth round picks. So, Josh, which one would you take in this situation? Yeah, good uh, good question. Yeah, same here. Fantasy Pros, ECR running back 21 and 22, back to back. And, you know, it is tough because, like Paul said, I, I also had these guys ranked right next to each other. The, the weird thing, though, is kind of seeing how your league plays out. Like, for example, I reached a little for David Johnson and grabbed him at the 3-4 turn with my 4-1 pick. But Mark Ingram was still there at the 5-6 turn. Uh, so I took him, Mark Ingram, at the 5-12, so going as the RB17 and the RB23. So, um, you know, I know these drafts for Scott Fishbowl were a little bit uh, 
a little bit weird with some yeah, of the for sure. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but at the same time, though, like if if you are looking for a guy that produces, you know, points for first downs and whatnot, um, Mark Ingram is is definitely going to be your guy. And of course, he played the same amount of games as Chris Carson. Of course, Carson missed Week 17 due to injury. Uh, the Ravens just basically had their bye week locked up, so that's the only reason Mark Ingram didn't play in Week 17. But I guess for me, the deciding factor. Not only do I think that there's more motive and incentive for David Johnson to have a larger role, but he doesn't necessarily have the threats in the backfield behind him. Duke Johnson, I mean, we've been waiting forever. Uh, I still think he's a talented running back. It's just like if he didn't get used last year and and Carlos Hyde was more who we just talked about, I just got a feeling we're still going to be waiting forever. And DJ's shown, I mean, he's been a very capable receiving back. So if we're talking – half PPR scoring, well, yeah, then I'm probably going to be more inclined to go after the dude that, you know, has caught 80 passes in a season before, you know, I, I do think Mark Ingram might uh, get a little more goal line action. I mean, they love to use him, you know, for two point conversions and down close when they get down there, but at the same time, they also like to use Gus Edwards, you know, who's to say they don't use Lamar Jackson. They didn't use him a whole lot, uh, you know, in the red zone goal line area last year, but that could be something they do a little more this year, which kind of maybe makes his value decrease a little bit. Not to mention they, they use some pretty significant draft capital on JK Dobbins, who's very fresh. So I guess the, the best answer is I love them both, especially at this price. Absolutely. But I'm going to lean a little bit more towards David Johnson just because of the receiving threat. Um, and, and also the lack of a threat behind him on the depth chart. I- Let me jump in and ask Steve this. What do you think? Cause I'm, I'm a little bit intrigued by this. Let's assume that you take a running back in the first two rounds. So you've got, you know, just pick a, pick a runner for the first two rounds. Yeah. So you've got that guy. Now it's round five and you pick up Mark Ingram. Then a round or two later, you take JK Dobbins as your flex starter. And you've locked up the guys that should get 80 85% of Baltimore's rushing usage outside of the quarterback. Do you believe that is a valid drafting strategy to go Ingram Dobbins in and start start both guys to have so you've got you've got the run you've got most of the rushing attack of the best rushing offense in football. Yep. I think that going into a draft, me personally, I wouldn't try to do that. But if I picked Mark Ingram and then I'm on the clock in like the eighth round, ninth round, and J.K. Dobbins is there. You know, I think you would have to like monitor where he's going. But I haven't thought about that strategy. I think it is viable for sure because Josh and I have talked about it a lot at this point in the offseason. This is going to be the year of the handcuff. We can foresee that right now. We know there's going to be positive COVID tests at some point in the season. So do you get one of the best handcuffs in J.K. Dobbins? Maybe you do. Maybe you do that uh, strategy because, you know, taking a shot at David Johnson, there's a lot of risk. Um, It's the same thing baked in with Chris Carson is that there's just that injury risk because we've seen them go down so much. Now, to your point, Josh, Chris Carson played, what, 16 games last year, right? Or no, he played 15 games. So pretty healthy last year. Um, yeah. But I, we still view him as a health risk. Um, I think he was coming off some sort of minor surgery. Or in, there's an injury lingering with Carson at the moment, but he is 100% healthy. Um, yeah, he's got a hip, the hip injury that he's dealing with. But everything's saying that uh, it sounds like he's going to be good to go. And the answer to your question, Paul, I think that is a very viable strategy for sure. Because the problem with Mark Ingram right now that we can already see is that the touchdown uh, regression, we, I believe that he's not going to be as efficient on the touchdowns. And if he's not, then he wasn't that great for fantasy aside from the touchdowns because he barely touched 1000 yards and he only got a little over 200 carries. And I feel bad using Carlos Hyde as like the pivot point of like an example <laughs> being the butt end of, you know, maybe Carlos Hyde is the Swiss cheese, right? Like you remove him from a, a good sandwich and he just smells like butt. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but like what? He got 245 carries. What does Bill O'Brien do? He gives the ball to the running back, a Deshaun Watson led team. They have all these vertical threats now. Um, David Johnson could be in a great, great situation. 
or you're going to get a very average RB2. Like that's the that's it right there. With Mark Ingram, I think the variance might be a little bit more. So I think David Johnson is safer and he also has maybe more of an upside. I think I think I'm with you on that. Can I can I go old man and tell you guys just a quick story about handcuffs? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> sure. My uh, my my original company that got started me in this in this business uh, was uh, a magazine called Fantasy Football Weekly, which I started out of my apartment in 1993. And we're uh, I'm I'm doing a, a, a draft a draft uh, guide in the summer, and I'm doing the page layout, and I come up with this term handcuffing, um, which at that time was not a thing. And none of my staff knows the term. And I'm just like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to handcuff these two guys together. And so I start laying out uh, the page. And I had to do all the page layout back then, even though I'm not a designer. And um, and so I put pictures of guys in handcuffs, right? So I got their headshots and all these handcuffs. And nobody knows what the term uh, handcuff means. Uh, so then I'm, I am I show the page to a couple of my guys that are uh, in the office. And they're, they're like, um, dude, why do you have a bunch of black guys in handcuffs? Oh, what's going on? Oh, <laughs> like, no, 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 no. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's, that's not what we're going for here. It's, it's called handcuffing. And it's, it's this thing where you have these two guys, you get the guy in his back up and, blah, 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 blah. Uh. and so we, uh, we started that term and uh, sure enough that we started a bunch of other terms that are still in use, but that was one of the, uh, that was one of them that we brought along. And then now you guys and your listeners know the, the whole backstory behind the invention of the, of the word handcuff. that's incredible incredible stuff right there let's keep it moving along because i think we covered ingram and johnson here so let's get into two young wide receiver studs and like we've talked about before are are just all these young receivers just going to be great because fantasy twitter would tell you that yes all of these receivers are going to be great and two of them are terry mclaurin and dj shark late fifth round wide receivers so josh uh this time let's start off with you which one are you taking Man, this is tough. You know, again, these guys are so close. They're kind of right there in that middle of like that fourth tier of receivers. And, you know, currently got uh, DJ Chark as the wide receiver 21 and uh, McLaurin as the wide receiver 23 on Fantasy Pros consensus uh, ECR here. But the, you know, separated by uh, just Keenan Allen here, which I think is a little unjust. I think maybe we should have Keenan Allen a little higher there. But uh, he's still right in that range of there and, you know, Cortland Sutton and I think the the thing with both of these guys kind of breaking out, of course, McLaren in his rookie season and then DJ Chark, um, you know, having seen quite a bit of chemistry with Gardner Minshew, you know, those two are the reason that my Scott Fishbowl team last year had any inkling of success. And uh, to kind of see the difference between when Dwayne Haskins came in against Terry McLaurin was a little questionable at first. Um, and then they did kind of get back into the rhythm there, you know, come uh, week 14 and, and later on. Uh, whereas uh, DJ Chark, I mean, they were pretty consistent the whole season. Um, there were a few games down the stretch where he only had five, six, seven targets. Uh, but for the most part, he was getting, you know, nine targets, 10 targets um, and getting fed pretty consistently. So, you know, 118 targets last year, compared to McLaurin's 93 targets. Um, you know, they still got in the end zone quite a bit. McLaurin, of course, got in the box seven times compared to uh, Chark getting in the box eight times. And Chark did put up a 1,000-yard season, so he does have that on his resume now. Um, so with that being kind of like the deciding factor, uh, there just seemed to be a little bit more QB wide receiver rapport with Gardner Minshew for me. So for me, I'm leaning DJ Chark. How about you guys? Chark's good. Shark, many of the reasons you mentioned it also, let's not forget the Jaguars probably have the worst defense in the league. You know, it was only, what, two or three years ago, they had arguably the best defense in the league. It's awful. They're going to be down by 17 and a half most games. And Gardner Minshew is in, in just sheer volume, I think. is. It, and by the way, Gardner Minshew is better than um, Dwayne Haskins. So, yeah. you, know, there's that, there's, you know, there's that as well. I'll hook my wagon to the better quarterback, um, an older receiver who's uh, – and McClure, by the way, McLaurin's awesome. That dude's great. It's just this everything about the situation tilts it tilts everything to Chark for me. So, you know, if McLaurin were in Jacksonville, I'd be talking about McLaurin as my guy because I, I think he's a fantastic player. But situationally, we I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go with Chark, who I think is is sitting on a really, a really nice season. Last, you know, we it wasn't like just one good game last year. 
you know, he can, he was consistently performing and they're going to have, they're going to have to throw to him on a regular basis. DJ shark maybe has a little bit more independence of the matchup because Gardner Minshew is going to feed him um, and he's going to pepper him with targets. He's more of the 50, 50 ball kind of guy. Cause he is the bigger receiver. McLaurin's super talented uh, and able to, you know, I mean, he is great vertical, able to jump up and get the ball at the top uh, over cornerbacks. But I, I think that shark is going to maybe have a little bit more touchdown upside as well. So yeah, I'm leaning shark. And I think that like the momentum of the fantasy kind of uh, pulse right now is sending McLaurin up where shark is kind of, he's not falling necessarily, but you know, you're able to get him in a good spot. I think. Um, yeah. McLaurin is rising, like, still. Yeah, and I was just going to say, like, as far as, like, the QB situation, it's obvious that Gardner Minshew, I agree with Paul that he's better, but it's he has the reins. Like, they've they've given him the team. Like, if they didn't trust him, they would have yeah. went out and spent a million dollars on Cam Newton before the Patriots did, you know what I mean? So there's going to be a new segment on the show uh, for this season. So, Charge, you're going to be the first. Oh called paul's hot take i mean i, I need to wrap up every show exclusive it's your exclusive we'll talk off air that's that's a good idea i like i like where your head's at but, uh, <laughs> let's get into your hot take for 2020 zach moss will outscore devin singletary in fantasy points mm, okay um, I like it. devin singletary had two carries inside the five last year two they will not use him near the stripe and here comes zach moss gigantic He's built for goal line use. He's going to get all, you know, they ran Frank Gore a lot last year, despite the fact that they were getting nothing out of his undead corpse. Right. Now in comes the fresh legs of Zach Moss. And I think everybody just assumes because Devin Singletary is a good back. They tend to assume that Singletary is going to be, uh, is going to be sort of you know, the primary and the lead back. And he will get more touches than Moss for sure. But Moss is going to get touchdowns. Last year, Frank Gore had 11 carries inside the five. Good good backs will convert at roughly a 50% rate. He might turn those just those inside the five carries into five or six touchdowns. He could score another five touchdowns from the other 95 yards on the field. And Zach Moss could be easily sitting on a double-digit touchdown season, and nobody wants him. Zach Moss is going practically undrafted in leagues. It's baffling to me that people aren't seeing the opportunity that Moss brings to the table going off the board is running back 48. It's, it's a huge whiff by the fantasy community and an opportunity for, uh, for savvy owners to get a, a, a back that you can plug in in any given week and potentially get touchdowns out of. Yeah. We kind of, we talked about this a little last week, Steve, like guys like Singletary are going ahead of like Odell Beckham and, you know, just stud receivers and drafts. And it's like, you know, if anything, we need to be aware of some of the guys that, you could potentially have on your roster outside of Devin Singletary and real quick, just to kind of uh, go a little further to Paul's point here. Uh, this tweets from Graham Barfield um, you know, on the 28th of July. Uh, you know, he's charted 57 running backs for yards created over the past five college seasons. And Zach Moss ranks the third best in yards route uh, yards wow. per route run behind Joe, only Joe Mixon and Alvin Kamara, two guys who have established themselves as receiving studs. <laughs> and Devin Singletary, meanwhile, is ranked 57th, dead last his rookie season last year. Wow. Uh, he ranked 36 out of 39 uh, running backs in uh, yards per outrun. How about that? That's, that's, that's amazing. I hadn't heard that. Thank you for sharing that. And, um, you know, the other problem with Singletary, and I've been doing this a long time, when you are a back that has to score at, at from distance, because you don't get the ball near the stripe, you've got this downside of a three touchdown season that is very real, even when you're a good back. And that's the downside that Singletary has that I don't think anybody's really caught up with quite yet. And, um, and he, he could be, you know, there's a scenario here where he's Tree Cohen this year. Right. And so just way, way, way too much danger on Devin Singletary, not touching him at his, at his ADP of 53 overall. That's for sure. It's funny to Cohen because I, I was thinking like, that is exactly what happened to Tariq Cohen this year is that he only scored three touchdowns. Like, you know, two years ago, he had eight touchdowns. Uh, I think maybe even more um, than eight touchdowns, but yeah, it, it, it can easily happen Singletary. Yeah. Great point. And that's, uh, this is, that is the, that's the downside that you, you really have to be worried about. As, uh, and by the way, you're exactly right. It was three touchdowns last year, eight the year before. 
So, you know, he crushed fantasy owners last season because, again, the guy, the runners who have to score from distance don't get the cheap, easy touchdowns. Those are going to go to Zach Moss this year. Was that bold enough for you? Zach Moss is going to outscore Devin Singletary? I like it a lot, man. I mean, Josh is, I think, higher on Zach Moss than I am. And we both were high on Devin Singletary at the beginning of this offseason. I would say before the draft, right? Right, Josh? We were pretty high on Singletary. And now they've drafted Zach Moss in Buffalo. And it seems like Devin Singletary's ADP is just climbing still. So it's weird. Yeah. And at this point, I think we've both kind of leveled off on Singletary. So, you know, you mentioned, you know, we did that mock draft the other day. Devin Singletary goes off the board and at the 408, I can grab Odell Beckham. Well, the running backs that are drafted behind Devin Singletary, David Johnson, Mark Ingram. So Devin Singletary is being drafted ahead of these guys. Uh, Jonathan Taylor, you know, even somebody like Kareem Hunt. Oh, I love Kareem Hunt. Right. Big, big upside. I think we're seeing mm-hmm. here. Raheem Mostert. Um, yeah. Cam Akers even. Yeah. Like if you're, if you're a believer in Cam Akers as well, I mean, that's uh it's another guy that you can have, but uh, yeah, I feel like it's really telling. I mean, I'm not as high on Cam Akers as most, but I'm not, either. I think I'd probably rather have Akers over Singletary. You know, I had a chance to draft Akers in a dynasty league and Paul mentioned earlier, uh, taking Ingram and uh, J.K. Dobbins. Well, I had Ingram on that dynasty team, so that's the only reason I went Dobbins. But, um, but yeah, that's that's something that it's he just kind of got to put things into perspective, man. And I don't know if, with looking at some of these these things and where Devin Singletary would slot in. I mean, you know, my God, I hope he wouldn't be like your RB one. Like he's at, at best maybe an RB two for fantasy. Uh, so if you're doing zero running back, I mean, I would be. I would, really caution people to maybe think twice uh, about using Devin Singletary as the RB one. Yeah. I think he's, he can be good and better in maybe a PPR format uh, at cost, uh, but you have to be careful with Singletary and then, you know, look, <laughs> Zach Moss <laughs> completely free in your draft. So uh, mm-hmm. yeah, definitely something to consider. I think we can see, you know, I, I definitely believe that he's going to get a lot of goal line work for sure. So, um, if you want, you know, somebody who could be a touchdown guy, at least I think Moss, you know, can definitely provide that kind of value on a week to week basis. Yeah. Especially with the receiving chops, uh, you know, this, some of this, some of this info uh, from Graham Barfield's pretty, uh, pretty interesting. So we'll see how yeah. that one ends up playing out, but, uh, but yeah, interesting to see, uh, who's, you know, between now and then who's going to opt out, you know, we just had, had uh, another, uh, we had Nate Solder opt out for the Giants. So he wasn't uh, too wow. too great last year. It wasn't very good, but, uh, you know, still you're losing your, one of your starting tackles after you just kind of solidified your offensive line. Oh, it's that's big. Uh, going to be interesting, man. So we'll yeah. see. I, I feel like that's going to impact Danny Dimes a little more than Saquon. But, uh, but yeah, man, we're, I'm sure it's not uh, the last of the opt outs. No, I've got a, I, I've, I've ruefully started a document that's just titled, Opt, COVID opt-outs, and so I can track everybody. And I, you know, we shouldn't have to do that, but you you kind of have to now. And that's yeah. it was already, you know, a fairly wobbly offensive line, and uh, it's it's a bit of a loss. Now, you know, he wasn't the same. He wasn't didn't have the same level of productivity for the Giants that he ever had for the Patriots, though. So you know, maybe it won't be quite as bad as we think so as we think, but still, you know, don't love it, and would prefer them, prefer that he he hadn't chosen this, but. You know, what can you do? You know, you, you can't, you got to respect the guy, anybody's decision along those lines, right? 100%. Yeah. yeah, you have to. Uh, Solder ranked 45th uh, by pro football focus at the tackle position last year. Yeah, just a 64.8 grade. So not not great, Bob. <laughs> yeah. no, not great at all. Might, maybe it's an upgrade for the Giants. We Well, that remains to be determined. But uh, Paul, thanks for coming on the show, man. We really appreciate you coming on. Um, of course, you can find Paul on Twitter at Paul Charchian. Um, and, you know, you can go to guillotineleagues.com if you want to start up a guillotine league. I think me and Josh are on that. Because Good. Yeah. I think if you're in a couple uh, leagues like we are, hey, so what? You, if, look, if you lose, you know, week three, what, what, you know, you focus on your other leagues. You know? <laughs> so what's more like that? <laughs> and, and if you don't lose, then trust me when I tell you this, your guillotine league will will slowly week by week become the most important league you're in and, be, and, your, and your roster just starts turning into this powerhouse right. over the course of the season and you're surviving and surviving and surviving it ends up being pretty crazy and you'll uh, you'll have a great time with it
Yeah, I mean, well, look, you can get somebody like, you know, Christian McCaffrey, right? And then a team loses and you can get Saquon Barkley. I mean, this dream yes. scenario of getting, yes. you know, you can't get those two guys in drafts. <laughs> no way. Gonna You're not going to be able to trade for that. Even in an auction, that's not very plausible, even in an auction, <laughs> to get those two guys. You can do it, but, you know, you put yourself in such a dire position after that. It's very right. Yeah, I can only imagine what some of the lineup decisions look like there at the end. I know you said you won one last year. I mean, geez, you must have been like, I can't believe I'm benching like these four guys. But, you know, you, you have to when your roster gets that that swole. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. That's right. Um, yeah, but uh, go to fanball.com, uh, especially during the season. Of course, you can see all of Charch's rankings. Uh, perfect for DFS players, weekly rankings. Um, and then some uh, hot take news. You can go over and check out our uh, hot and spicy logo, courtesy of Jake Anderson. So a little bit of rebranding. Uh, Josh, the new logo, how you liking it? Oh, loving it, man. Shout out to Jake. Um, you know, you guys can find him on Twitter at NFL Draft Talker. And uh, I mean, that's I I couldn't be happier, man. I'm loving the new look, man. I feel feeling fresh, feeling pretty swaggy. Yeah, go over to Apple Pod, Spotify, Spreaker, iHeartRadio, uh, check out our new logo. And then while you're there, hey, leave us that five-star review. Um, and, uh, you know, anything you have uh, nice to say about the pod or, or not, you know, hey, honesty is cool. You know, go ahead and uh, give us that <laughs> review. Charge, thanks for joining us, man. Any uh, last words for our listeners before we get out of here? Um, no, but there's been a ton of fun. Thanks, Josh. Thanks, Steve. Let's do it again sometime. Sounds good. Yeah, on behalf of Paul Charchian and Josh Daly, my name is Stephen Troni. Thanks for listening. This has been the Hot Take Podcast.